Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital revolution by speaking with thought leaders and business executives who are changing how the world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Today's episode is extra special because it involves Sean Amirati, our Amirati on innovation expert, and also because I am live here at San Francisco Airport for a variety of reasons. So please forgive a little bit extra background noise. Uh, it's not a feature we hope to incorporate in every episode, but we're going to power through this today. So Sean Amirati, uh, entrepreneur, podcaster, professor, venture capitalist, startup lab co-creator. How are you doing? And uh, what's on your mind today? What, what do you want to talk about? I'm doing well, Bob. And uh, thanks for, for making this work from the airport here. So yeah, so I thought, I thought a good place to start would actually be going back to a topic we talked about uh, May 1st. Um, when we were talking a little bit about the, the Disney Plus when they first announced that to Wall Street and the quick reaction that the market had had to that. And, you know, I, I've got to say, like, since that announcement came out, um, there's continued to be a lot of excitement about it. But I really believe that um, in the, as there's now actually starting to have some data come out, uh, as most of your, your listeners probably no doubt know, Disney Plus has now been live. And um, in the first 24 hours of Disney Plus, 10 million people signed up for the service. And, uh, and then, it so Disney announced that, which I thought was kind of amazing. And they said, hey, but we're not gonna give you guys any more data until our earnings announcements. And uh, the market responded as it often does with, well, there's other ways to get that information. So the app, analytics companies have been tracking downloads to Disney Plus. And if you're on iTunes or the Google Play Store, it's been the number one app basically since it came out. And they're showing 1.2 million downloads a day uh, of the app. So while certainly uh, you know, an account can have more than one app download, I think it's safe to assume that they, that, that rate of continuing to add customers uh, is only increasing. Um, so it's been, I mean, it's been actually, uh, I think, fascinating to watch this outcome. In the last six months, Bob, so we talked last time about the Disney yeah. versus Netflix stock price, right? In the last six months, since um, Disney is stock is up 11, I want to get you the exact rate statistic here. Disney's stock in the last six months is up about 11%, and Netflix stock is down about 12%. Wow. in the last six months. So um, I, I really think, you know, I was, with a, uh, I was with a group earlier this week and we were talking about uh, business model transformation and we we're using Adobe as the example of business model transformation around subscription economy, the move from licensed software to subscription software, which obviously people in your audience will be very familiar with. That's kind of the, the textbook example of this. I really think that this Disney Plus announcement is going to end up being the textbook example of large companies saying, okay, what are our assets that we have in the case of Disney, this amazing content library, this platform that they build around it and how they can completely take advantage of those assets to go compete with these digitally native tech companies in the case of Disney's Netflix. It's just been an incredible run for the company and, and at the moment doesn't seem like it's gonna slow down. Yeah, Sean, that's, that's remarkable. There are some of those numbers that you trotted out and it really plays into the overall premise of what one of the things when you created the uh, corporate startup lab, one of those, the premises behind it, if you can get some of these big, powerful, highly capable companies 
to take those assets they've built up over decades and be able to deploy them forward in a modern digital sense, they're going to be quite formidable. Yeah, it's it's really it's really it's, I again it's going to just be the case study on this, and it's just awesome to watch to watch the momentum that's building around it, and it's it's great because I think it really does illustrate the point. And and what's also awesome about this is this is a consumer example, right? We all like we all experience this, you know. Uh, my wife was one of the 10 million people who signed up in the first 24 hours because we have two kids who, and there was sort of no choice but to sign up for Disney yeah. Plus, right? Like yeah. you need food, water, and Mickey Mouse. <laughs> like there's certain things that like kids need when they're growing up, right? So, so, but this is an experience, right? That people are, they're having themselves. And I think what's great about this is this becomes a reference point now that we can use in so many other enterprises who, who can do the same thing, albeit with different assets, right? It may not be a content library of um, movies like Disney has, but every executive in every boardroom in America today needs to be asking themselves the question, what's our unfair competitive advantage and how are we going to do our own Disney Plus uh, move? And I think this really will be, when we look back uh, you know, a year from now, this really will be the beginning of catalyzing a lot of executives to get, to get off um, kind of this pause and actually push forward figuring out how to, how to actually leverage those assets moving forward. Sean, you know, I, I have to toss in a couple anecdotes here because it, you know, one of the things that you're describing speaks to how um, in the, the you know, business history, things sort of went along for pretty long periods of time without this disruptive change. But yes. a couple of things here to think about, right? You know this, but just, I wanna make sure everybody knows this thing with Netflix. When it started out, it, it's, it's, hook its magic was we're going to bundle a lot of dvds into a fedex overnight package and send those out to people in ways that you know so it was it was almost like a uh, you know a shipping or a logistics deal they made then they got more into the streaming then they started to create their own stuff disney now with so many more things there there's so much that can happen and sean the disney related anecdote i wanted to share was uh, I don't know, this was in the early 2000s, I would say, but uh, Larry Ellison at the time, the CEO of Oracle, yeah. he said he ran into somebody who used to work at Oracle and was over now at Yahoo, in, in Yahoo's high flower days. And this guy posed a question to Larry. He said, hey, Larry, you know, uh, we're doing a lot of stuff here at Yahoo, and we got a call from some people at Disney. And they asked if, you know, maybe we could discuss the opportunity of doing some things together. I don't know, what should we tell them? <laughs> Larry Ellison, uh, you know, in the, this book about him, it, the, the story went that he said, he said, let's see. He said, they have the most, uh, you know, the greatest movies in the world, the theme parks, hundreds of millions of fans around the world, an incredible brand, loyal employees, you know, all these assets you die for. What does Yahoo have? Free news and email. He said, has the world gone crazy? Yes. So we, uh, we get sometimes lulled into a sense that what is here and now is going to maintain itself. But I think if the last four or five, 10 years have taught us anything, it is you always have to be prepared. You always got to be on offense. And what you're trying to talk to these big companies about is you've got to do that thing of what you said a minute ago, create the unfair advantage. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and these companies need to figure it out, right? And and you know we've seen this in the cloud space in the last couple of weeks too, right? With with SAP here, um, I actually you had a great post on this uh, transformation from HCM to HXM, and 
a couple of quotes in this article that were uh, that were absolutely fantastic. Um, but the one of them that I absolutely loved was you were saying, okay, I'm a big fan of SAP's move because it's a first mover play by a company that needs to take on the role of disruptor. But on an even grander scale, scale, it's a very public recognition that business customers and not the tech industry, let alone industry analyst firms, are driving the requirements and category for modern enterprise software. Right? And so what you have what you have happening here, right, is you have SAP saying, okay, we have a, a large moat in the business of HCM, right? And they said, okay, we, we have a choice here. We can monetize that moat and continue to do that, or we can reinvent the category. And I, I actually think, I think HR tech, and, and, and I should say for full disclosure, we have multiple investments in the HR tech space. And my second company, I sold to LinkedIn. So this is not a new bit for me, nor do I, nor is this a bit that I don't have a sort of horse in the race, if you will. But um, I think HR tech is one of those areas that we're, that's going to become just amazingly interesting in the next 18 to 24 months, as companies really realize that the key to pulling off the Disney-like situation that we're talking about is getting the right people in the organization to lever those unfair asset advantages, right? And what you're seeing with SAP reimagining HR with this transformation from HCM to HXM is you're seeing them say, okay, we're going to do that. We're not resting on our laws, but we're going to actually go create a new category because that's not what we want. That's not what SAP wants. That's what our customers want. And so we're going we're gonna to do it and sort of take this experience first perspective on it. And I actually think, you know, we'll see, and you know the SAP team well, this is, I don't, so this is not based on any inside information or anything like that, but I suspect this is not the last HR thing you're going to see come out of SAP, right? There is a ton of opportunity for innovation in the HR space today. People, companies increasingly are realizing their assets are their people. And if you're going to, if you're going to grow at the scale that these companies are growing at, you've got to continue to take over these areas. You know, we talked last time about WeWork as a potential, um, you know, what's really the value of WeWork and lots has happened since we talked last time, some layoffs, which is unfortunate, but also taking a new fresh look at how companies work and people work, right? I think SAP is doing a great job with this um, in terms of actually saying, okay, let's actually help people change what their employees' experiences are with this new perspective um, on kind of redefining this category. So um, to me, it's another Disney plus like move. It's saying, okay, we've got these assets different because it's enterprise software instead of consumer, which is harder for people to understand. But it's the same question of okay, how do we take these assets and actually attack the market based on what our customers want, not what we want. Sean, you know, let me, let me offer a thought on that because I think you, know, you brought up something that's you know, quite intense these days. IBM has recently done a couple new things, both in the month of November, that shows a little bit of that reawakening, that what yeah. got them here won't get them there. And, you know, like a lot of big companies, IBM had some boundaries that had built up inside the company, some silos and some locked up businesses. Well, recently they did this thing with Bank of America, but it actually involved their vertical industry consulting business pairing up for the first time with their cloud technology business. And then more recently, they've done some other things in those areas where they are taking the services business and uh, the cloud technology business and putting some of those together. And if, if IBM doesn't have an unfair advantage in cloud technology, they've got some very good stuff there. Okay. And I think in some ways they do have 
something of an unfair advantage in the understanding of vertical industries and what That's goes right. on, the relationships they've had there over time. So right. really powerful stuff. But that reawakening, and I think part of it is saying is what you said a couple minutes ago, shifting that mindset of saying, this is what I do versus this is what customers are demanding of me, or this is what they'll reward me for even in even greater scale than before. That's right. That's right. And I think, you know, what you're going to, you've, you highlighted just recently, it's sort of three big battles happening between you sort of different groups of tech companies here. Um, I think potentially the, the surprising one next year, maybe this, how do employees look at how are employees perceived? I think human capital may end up becoming a very, very interesting uh, battleground over the next 12 months. And there's some really interesting kind of secondary assets. So you've got SAP kind of taking a look like we talked about before. Microsoft has this little social network you may have heard of called LinkedIn. Um, I don't, you know, there's a few people on the social network, on that social network. And, you know, they, they don't post political commentary there. They post professional information there. So what one might imagine that um, that could be a really interesting asset for, um, for Microsoft if they decide to go, uh, all in on this space. So it's going to be really fascinating to watch what happens there. And then I think you're right on the IBM side. Um, certainly one of the advantages that IBM has that I think the other companies would love to have is the connection points they have across the, the these organizations because of the, the, I'm sure they have a nicer term for this, but the consultants um, that, that carried an IBM bag, right? I'm sure they call them service account professional executives or something like that, but the consultants basically, right? Um, and so I think, you know, that's a, that's a very unique advantage when you're thinking about, okay, how do you go in and, and, and transform how business works using, using technology? It's going to be, it's going to be a fun 2020 for sure. Sean, with that too, uh, <clears throat> one other thing about SAP that I, I wanted to bring up in this context, and that's, I think it's, it's interesting and it's also ironic in some ways that the company, SAP, that 40 years ago kind of created the whole three-letter acronym yep. series of names there with ERP or maybe it was first MRP or who knows what it was. And I'll bet, I don't know what the number of, you know, bright, high performers in a company, regardless of their age, how many of them know what the hell ERP stands for? Sure. And if, if they were told, I think they'd probably be disappointed, unimpressed to say, well, that's a stupid name. Well, what should it be? So, and I think it affects how people think about stuff because everybody's trying to get these end-to-end -end capabilities across their companies, get more externally focused than internal. So I just think it was pretty wild that it was SAP that took this move. Yeah. And surely it plays off some of what they're doing with Qualtrics, but then look over at um, Salesforce. Right, uh, a handful of months ago, you know, Mark Benioff talked about they starting an ex employee experience set of applications. Now they said, no, 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 that's not HCM. So okay, so maybe, but the, as the HCM thing deconstructs and is fragmented or atomized, whatever the right word is, other people are gonna come here and play it. So I think to your point, what was HCM is now gonna become bigger and different and SAP's got its angle and some others. So it, it's gonna be a wild space because how many years have people been saying our people are our most important asset when in fact th that never went beyond talk and too many companies treated people like, well, you know, they're here, we could take them or leave them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I, again, I think the, the, the Salesforce thing is fascinating there. What, you know, it was pretty public because they actually disclosed more than usual of the LinkedIn 
kind of bidding war between Microsoft and Salesforce, you got to ask yourself, knowing where we are today, what should Salesforce have offered for LinkedIn? Right? Like, I mean, and and again, I think they've, I think Salesforce has done an incredible job doing strategic M&A. I think they've done a better job downstream at the, for the small SaaS companies uh, using venture capital as a strategic asset, getting early investments in a bunch of companies and really being more than capital for those partners. We have multiple companies in our portfolio too, at least, um, that has Salesforce on the cap table via their ventures group. And I think they've done a great job there. But man, at the, at the upper end of that spectrum, um, Microsoft has taken a couple big swings and, and done it incredibly well. And I think what felt expensive for LinkedIn you know, when the acquisition came out now feels awfully cheap with this HCM space and kind of HR tech in general heating up here. Sean, and uh, with that, I know that uh, it's always interesting, you know, the, one of the most unflappable CFOs I've ever come across is Amy Hood at Microsoft. And when people ask, oh, isn't that expensive? She said, well, you really have to know that expensive is a relative term. You pay $26.5 <laughs> <laughs> for something that's worth five. Oh, yeah, that's expensive. He that's said, right. but 26.5 for something that's either worth 26.5 or perhaps more than that. So we think about the potential. You know, she always comes back to that. Or if people say, well, aren't you worried that your cloud or your on-premise sales, which continue to go up, are cannibalizing your cloud sales? And she that's the wrong way to think about it. Our job is to meet the needs of our customers. And clearly, some of them want to continue to stay here on-premise and cloud and both. So that's what we're doing. And that's right. I, I don't mean to be... Uh, you know, acting like such a, a, a genius here, but it is so hard culturally for companies to flip that around. And I hope, Sean, your optimistic view of what could happen with this totally revitalized, re-energized H, HCM space, people space, I hope that really comes to bear. And the first step on that should be, you know, smashing and obliterating this HCM name forever. Yeah, I, I agree. I th but I think generally it's software to make your teams and your people more effective and help you find the right people. Like that is a that is a process that needs automated, it needs enhanced, and it needs as much data science and AI behind it as possible because the problem is a real problem. And when you can solve it, customers get a ton of value from it. And so it makes it makes sense. And if you were to say, you know, over the next the, now the interesting thing about this is you get into the economic prognostication game, right? Because no sector will be hit harder than HR tech if the market corrects at all, right? Like some of this is also that we're at basically um, a fully employed economy today. So, so, you know, and if I could predict the market, I would be doing something other than uh, this podcast with you and investing in early stage software startups. Um, so, so I don't pretend to, to have any inside track on when or if a correction is coming, but if a correction comes, it could make the trajectory be, a little less linear and a little less straight. But if you fast forward like a decade from now, it's hard to imagine that software hasn't completely transformed how we uh, identify, retain talent, make talent efficient and, and, and scale up organizations around that, right? So I think it's exciting from that perspective. Sean, I think in the 15 years I've known you, this is the only time I've ever disagreed with you, but I think that if you worry about a predict the market, 
you would still be doing the podcast, right? <laughs> okay. All right. It'd be a different kind of podcast though, for sure, Bob. Well, if I knew I, when the market was going to correct, <laughs> I can assure you I'd monetize that skill uh, differently than investing in early stage companies or teaching at a business school. But no, um, All right. I, I think, you know, it's, you're probably being hamstrung by, you know, proprietary information yeah. you can't give right. away. But I, you know, I think we, we'd still be doing that. <laughs> right. Sean, so a couple things. Um, it, just for a second, just expand on that a little right? Uh, the CRM space, customer relationship management, which implied that the seller would manage the relationship with the customer, which was an offshoot of Salesforce automation, which you know, mm -hmm. became CRM. So I think Salesforce, the stock ticker CRM is in Salesforce, the company where it is and where it's headed. They're always going to be swarming the customer here. But I think CRM is also like HCM, one of these vestiges of a bygone era. What, what do you think? Yeah, so, so I, think, I think these labels become helpful to give people categories to, to pick up and talk about the features they want. But I think the lines are super blurry from like where, where one of these boxes ends and the, and the next box um, begins. And so, so to me, like, I, you know, I don't know I, like, I don't know what best practice is for what should live inside one of these three letter acronyms and what should live inside another one. But I, but I know that way too much is done in non-automated, non-intelligent ways today. And there are features that companies, I think, are hungry to have solved for them, that they're willing to share some of the value that's created by improving this. Um, I also think that there's some benefit to having uh, one neck to choke, which is, I think is why you're seeing these large vendors continue to be, to, to grow, right? I mean, the, the, the projections are kind of insane, like 50 billion for Microsoft. And, and I, think, I think I read on Cloud Wars actually 35 billion for both SAP and Salesforce. Is that right? Is that what it was? It is, yeah, and in the case of Salesforce, so at the uh, <clears throat> four years from now, so December, 2023, Salesforce is expecting that its revenue will be at that point around $35 billion, all cloud. Uh, SAP is projecting at that time, it'll be closer to 38 or 39 million. It was 35 billion euro, but not all of their stuff, about 40, 45% they think will be cloud. That's staggering numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you think, I mean, so I think the reason you're seeing that, right, is that the, fun, forget about which handle you're picking up, because I think some of these handles are kind of the rear view mirror, not the, the, the windshield in terms of, of what you need to be focused on. But the functionality that falls in that is incredibly valuable. And I think um, people want to buy from these kind of large providers who, who can give them you know, integrated solutions for that. I do think beyond doing kind of internal startups like the, uh, transitioning from HCM to, to, to HXM for SAP. I do think the other part of that is those companies need to remain very committed to integrating in a lot of these emerging tech companies, both via acquisition and via partnership, because um, no matter how smart they are, they certainly don't know the, the, the full desire that their customers have there as well. And so I think yeah. there's opportunity for innovation there as well. Sean, final question before you go. Um, so if you were the CEO of Netflix and you were looking at a couple of the indicators that you described early on about what's happening with Disney Plus, okay, so as the uh, 
the big incumbents start to understand this notion of innovation and the digital capabilities and unleashing that by fusing it with what they have done so well for so long. What then would you advise a company, not necessarily Netflix, but what do the digital guys do when the incumbents start to get their act together? Yeah, yeah so they, so, so, and I, someone's going to say, I think that was called AL Time Warner and didn't work out so well. So, so, it, so I'll caveat this with like, I do know history and I do understand the, the, the peril that lays here. But I do think if you're the CEO of Netflix, you need to figure out who you, what you can do to, to sort of level the playing field, uh, as they say, right? And so um, the challenge is, right, that his currency is down 10% in the last six months. So he has, he has less currency to go do deals with than he did um, six months ago. But I think you got to figure out like, okay, where can I get some, some uh, platform advantage here and, and kind of create my own flywheel in the same way that, that Disney Plus has. And so um, you could look at distribution companies, right? So um, you, could, you could look at um, some, one of the guys, uh, professor at NYU has been advocating that they should um, buy a company like Roku or the place, try to do some type of deal with Sony for the PlayStation Network. So they have uh, set top box, not actually set top box, but sort of distribution in the home that way. Um, you could look at, are there content libraries that they can, that they can acquire to give them their own uh, competitive advantage there. Um, I, I think it's, you I think it's going to be really challenging though, because um, those deals require a balance sheet that um, frankly, not, not that Netflix is poor by any means, but on a relative basis, right? They, they just don't have the same type of assets that, that others do. And so you got to move faster than your competitors do. And you've got to get some deals done to try to balance the playing field. Um, even if those are, you know, quote unquote, mergers of equals or whatever. And again, I started with the caveat and I'll finish with that. I know the history of the AOL Time Warner stuff, but like the world has changed and I think you you do need you do need uh, scale uh, to play in the game that that Netflix and Disney Plus are playing at today. So, Sean, the disruptors in some ways could become the disrupted, and I think again that's all to the, this notion of speed and change and yep. keeping up with things, pushing forward. And it sure is good for us as either consumers or as uh, business customers as well. You know, right. uh, competition is a great thing, isn't it? <laughs> that's exactly right. Absolutely. Well, Sean, thank you so much. Great seeing you. Uh, very interesting thoughts here. And we'll look forward to seeing you again next month, the uh, Amaradi on Innovation. And just please remind everybody about your own podcast and what you're doing there. How yeah, no, so things are going well. So we've got, uh, you know, we're going to be releasing a, another batch of episodes here on Agile Giants soon. So you can subscribe to that. And, um, you know, things continue to go well, both at, at Birchmere and at the Corporate Startup Lab. So I, I don't, by the time this comes out, it may have happened at this point, but uh, you and I will be together later in Pittsburgh when you get back from the West Coast for a corporate startup lab, a corporate entrepreneurship forum later this week. So uh, things are, are moving along very nicely, Bob. And, and as always, really appreciate the opportunity to come talk innovation with you for a little bit here. Sean, thanks a million. Folks, thanks to you out there for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. And I, thanks for putting up with a little bit of the uh, you know background uh, activity here at San Francisco International Airport. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Bye. Thanks.